the bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome again to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Uh, Kathy and I uh, have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. And each week we bring on some, somebody else who will have some interesting, fascinating, hopefully very practical information for us. And today's show is Ben Lytle on leadership in healthcare, challenges for the future. Ben is an industry expert and the former chairman and CEO of Axia Health Management, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Indiana, and Anthem Healthcare, now known uh, as one of the largest mergers in healthcare under the name of WellPoint. Many of you are familiar with WellPoint. Mr. Lytle has been an advocate for health lifestyle, healthy lifestyles and market-based healthcare reform for his entire career. An industry leader, he has provided testimony to Congress, chaired Indiana's Healthcare Commission, served on President Clinton's Commission on Consumer Protection and Healthcare Quality, and focused uh, and fostered free market solutions as the chairman of the Foundation for Better Health. And Kathy and I always want to bring you the best in current leadership topics, interviews with proven leaders, and to provide an evidence-based best practices to help you develop more leaders in your organization. Kathy, welcome to the show also. Thank you. We are so excited today to have Mr. Ben Lytle talking about leadership and healthcare challenges for the future. And I met Ben, oh gosh, um, almost a decade ago, when I was working with Anthem on their merger, and I know Ben's going to talk about that. And it's really important for leaders to understand why leadership is so important, not just because you are a leader, but we know that leaders are the heartbeat of an organization. Relly and I talk to leaders all the time about the importance of what they're doing, and most leaders do underestimate just how much influence they have over others. And thus, they and their teams can underperform. But doing just a few things differently can drastically improve your performance and your organizations. And what you'll learn in all these programs on leadership development news that Raleigh and I bring you are how to develop more leaders in your organization and what happy companies know, emotional intelligence and positive psychology strategies. And, of course, we talk about brain and neuroscience, work-life balance, and strategies for managing you and your boss plus many more tools and tips. So before we bring on uh, Ben today, we always like to give you a little bit of our evidence-based information about leadership. Why do we talk about leaders uh, so much and why are leaders so important? Well, one reason is leaders have been known to have 50 to 70% influence over the climate of their team. They are, as Kathy said, kind of the heartbeat of the team, and sometimes we talk about that being they're the emotional thermostat. And the reason is, Emotions are contagious. And we know in the research that the key to being a star performer, which is someone performing in the top 10%, is the emotional intelligence and all the competencies that go with that. As someone moves up the corporate ladder, 85% of the competencies for their success are in emotional intelligence domain, 
when compared to how smart they are, their IQ, or technical expertise. And ideally focus on leaders, getting them uh, into the top 10%. Leaders are twice as uh, productive in producing revenue to the organization as leaders or managers in the 11th to the 89th percentile. And we also know that you can increase performance by as much as 77% while increasing your life and professional satisfaction by as much as 50% with coaching. Both Kathy and I are certified coaches. And when you bring in a coaching network into your company, studies show that happiness is tied to profit by more than 93%. So when you take training, and training we know is important in leadership development, that will help productivity. The research shows about 22%. But when you combine that with coaching, follow-up coaching, uh, productivity increases to about 88%. If you're interested in more details uh, from Dr. Kathy Greenberg, her website is www.h2cleadership.com, and she has her happiness books, tools, speaking notes, uh, keynotes, leadership, and coaching services. If you're interested in more feedback information about me, my website is www.truenorthleadership.com. For emotional intelligence books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching boot camps. And Kathy, given you, you know Ben, do you want to? Introduce him and bring him on. I would be honored to do so. Ben is a, a particularly interesting leader, and I'm so glad that we have him on the program today. Ben Lytle was chairman and the chief executive officer of Axia Health Management, LLC, until its sale to Hathaway's Inc. in December of 2006. Ben continues as a consultant and a board member of Hathaway's. Ben and his son, Hugh, founded Axia in 2004, which became the nation's largest provider of prevention and wellness services by acquiring and integrating fitness, alternative medicine, health, coaching, and smoke cessation providers. Ben and Hugh are presently launching a new venture to assist seniors to age independently. Previously, Ben Lytle was chairman and CEO of Anthem, Inc., and that was um, acquired um, in a, uh, a merger with WellPoint, and in 2004 assumed the WellPoint name. It became the nation's largest health plan with revenues of $34 billion. In 1976, Ben Lytle joined Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Indiana with revenues under $1 billion. He rose through the executive ranks to become COO in 1982 and CEO in 1989. And under his leadership, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Indiana was transformed through a series of mergers and acquisitions to form Anthem a $16 billion revenue Fortune 500 company. During the same period, Ben created, took public, and sold Accordia, Inc., a New York Stock Exchange company, as an Anthem subsidiary, which became the world's seventh largest insurance broker. Ben retired as CEO of Anthem in 1999, continued as chairman until 2003, and chaired the Strategic Planning Committee in 2004 through 2006 until he retired from the Anthem WellPoint Board, and he continues as Chairman Emeritus. Ben Lytle's entrepreneurial leadership and innovative strategies have been cited by Tom Peters in his book, Liberation Management, and in my book, What Happy Companies Know. He's an author and a frequent guest lecturer on health um, and strategic planning, and uh, Ben has been an advocate for healthy lifestyles and market-based health care reform his entire career. 
He's provided testimony to Congress. He's chaired Indiana's Health Care Commission. As stated, he served on the President's uh, Commission on Consumer Protection and Health Care Quality during the Clinton era, and he's fostered free market solutions as chairman of the Foundation for Better Health, as Raleigh already said. Mr. Lytle serves on the boards of directors of several Fortune 500 and venture capital companies. He's an adjunct fellow and a member of the Board of Trustees of the American Enterprise Institute of Washington, D.C., and an executive in residence at the University of Arizona School of Business. I'm also honored to say he was the recipient of the University of Arizona's 2004 Executive of the Year Award. I am so fortunate to have worked with Ben and on occasion, I will hopefully get to work with him again. And we are honored to have you as a guest on the show today, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. So, Ben, we have a couple questions that we'd love to kind of pick your brain about and we know that our, our listeners are, are very interested in. Um, so we'd like knowing a little bit more about your, your terrific track record in healthcare. Tell us a little bit more about who has influenced you as a, as a leader. Um. Really, uh, I've had three had three mentors. I was really fortunate in my career to um, to to have mentors all along the way, and uh, they were they were people that uh, taught me, you know, first how to just manage, uh, and uh, and then secondly how to to develop uh, what was probably an innate leadership skill, how to hone that and uh, and put that into a business context. Uh, but it was really three people, a fellow named Larry Sweet, who I worked with twice in my career, and uh, uh, then a fellow named Gene Hinkle at Blue Cross of Indiana, who was my boss when I first came there. And then probably the most influential of any was a fellow named Lloyd J. Banks, who was the uh, CEO of Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Indiana uh, before me. And uh, so was my uh, boss when I was chief operating officer, and he was CEO for seven years, and then he stayed on the board uh, as a non-executive chairman of the board for five more years, and he was just a marvelous uh, teacher and uh, was uh, really inspirational, and I think brought out the, the best that I, whatever I had innate, he brought it out and, uh, and helped uh, teach me a lot about leadership and uh, um, the responsibilities you have as a leader in the community and to your employees and to your industry. Ben, I would love for you to tell the story of how you came through these three organizational transformations that have remarkably transformed healthcare. Can you talk about the kind of the inception of your leadership role in, in the mergers from uh, Anthem, Accordia, Axia, and just kind of bring us up to where we are today. Sure, sure. Um, well, I I, uh, I started uh, while I was still in high school. I started as a as an information technology guy. Back then, they called it data processing. But uh, while I was still in high school, I got into to that, and and th- and it was very good to me because I had a good job. I uh, worked full time and got my undergraduate degree in four years. Uh, and I worked full-time uh, in information technology. So when I came out of college, uh, that became my career. And uh, I, I spent a total of uh, 16 years uh, in information and, and technology. The last uh, four years of the 16, uh, from 1976 to 19, uh, actually 76 to 82, last six years, 
uh, was with the Blue Cross Blue Shield of Indiana, uh, based out of Indianapolis, and I was playing the role. <coughs> excuse me, I was playing the role that today you would call uh, a chief information officer, and um, uh, so in, in that role, I was continually given more and more responsibility. And in 1982, I was promoted to chief operating officer. And uh, it, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Indiana at the time, in 1982, was one of about 135 Blue Cross and Blue Shield companies in the United States. Now, these are sort of like franchises. They're not exactly franchises, but they're independent companies uh, which share a, uh, a trade name the Blue Cross and Blue Shield trade name. And in order to get to use that trade name, they have to agree to follow certain standards and, and, uh, and certain behavior in the marketplace, offer certain kind of products. All of them are in health insurance. Obviously. Well, Ben, we're going to be right back. So hold that thought, and we'll continue the story with Leadership Development News. Okay, thank you. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice. What if something happens? Will you come get me? Should I stay where I am and wait for you? Or go to Grandma's house since it's closer? Should I only pick a place to me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? How do we keep in touch with each other if the phones don't work? Should I be worried how we all get home? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. and financial radio network voice america business you're listening to leadership development news profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts doctors kathy greenberg and Riley nadler we know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask so call us toll free at 1-866-472-5790 that number again is 1-866-472-5790 now let's get back to the show 
Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with uh, Ben Lytle, uh, industry expert and former chairman and CEO of Axia Health Management Systems and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Indiana and Anthem uh, Healthcare. And, and Ben, just before the break, you were talking about how Blue Cross uh, Blue Shield is like a franchise and how you had kind of moved up in the organization to be uh, COO in 1992. Maybe you can kind of continue, uh, you know, with that, and then we'll both Kathy and I will interject along the way. Okay. Yeah, it was actually 1982 was when I was uh, chief operating officer, oh, awesome. and the company at the size at the time was uh, was under under a billion in revenue, um, and operated only in Indiana. My first job was really to make sure the company was running well and doing its job in the marketplace, and so we had some work to do there. Uh, but by 1987, the company was uh, operating well, and we were financially strong, but we had a series of uh, uh, strategic challenges. Uh, we were uh, basically landlocked. We were only in the state of Indiana. Uh, the state of Indiana's population was not growing very rapidly. Uh, and uh, a company, the health insurance business, uh, is employer-based, and so it, our growth depended on having headquartered companies to sell to. And the number of companies headquartered in Indiana was was not growing and in fact was shrinking uh, to some degree so we uh, we I was asked to put together a strategic plan for the company um, uh, and uh, and we were our one other vulnerability we uh, 50% of our business uh, came by being a subcontractor to other blue cross and blue shield companies who uh, where the headquarters of the company was in their state not in Indiana, and then we subcontracted to serve their membership that lived in the state of Indiana. This was particularly true of the automotive companies, which were headquartered in, uh, of course, in Detroit, and uh, we but but had a lot of uh, employees in their manufacturing plants in Indiana. So uh, our challenge, I was uh, challenged to develop a strategic plan for the company, and, and at the same time, this was 1987. I was named to uh, be the CEO succeeding the new CEO when he retired in 1989. So I had two years there to really put a strategic plan together and then to execute it once I became CEO. Uh, also, at that time, uh, 1987, uh, there was growing concern that the government uh, was going to step in and basically take over the health insurance business, uh, much like we're having discussions again now about the role government expanding its role <coughs> in the health insurance area. Uh, this was very true in 1987, but the discussions at that time were uh, much around the government completely taking over the health insurance business. So our... Um, that was what I was faced with. That was, uh, if you can imagine yourself, you're given those problems on a, on a sheet of paper and say, okay, now go develop a plan for what you can do with what you've got. Uh, and uh, the company I had, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Indiana, was uh, about a billion in revenue. We had about uh, $300 million, uh, in net worth. Uh, so a, a mutual insurance company, a Blue Cross Blue Shield of Indiana, was a mutual insurance company at the time. And that's the way we judged uh, net worth was in its surplus. And so that's what I had to work with. Uh, I worked, I did a lot of research, worked with my team. Uh, and over the next two years, we put together a plan. And the plan essentially called for us to do two things. First of all, to expand outside the state of Indiana, uh, primarily 
by mergers uh, uh, or acquisitions of other Blue Cross and Blue Shield franchises. Sounds simple enough, except at the time it had never been done. And uh, there was really no precedent for what we wanted to try to do, which was to merge with other mutual and other Blue Cross and Blue Shield franchises that were mutual insurance companies to build a larger franchise. Uh, the second uh, was to diversify outside of healthcare, to have 50% of our revenues outside of healthcare uh, within five years. And the reason for that was in case the, um, the uh, federal government did uh, basically nationalize the health insurance business that has a mutual insurance company, uh, we could uh, diversify into different lines of insurance. And in that uh, area, then that you know that begs the question: What type of insurance? Where should we diversify? And we studied all the different forms of diversification, and uh, we learned from that that uh, the safest, least risky uh, way to diversify was to stay as close to your core business as you possibly could. Uh, also, we didn't have endless capital to uh, use. Uh, and so we wanted to uh, try to find something that was not to diversify into that could grow very rapidly but didn't uh, uh, require a lot of the mutual insurance companies' capital. The plan we hit upon was to diversify through becoming uh, building an insurance broker. Uh, the insurance brokerage field, could uh, we could build a fairly large broker without a lot of the mutual insurance companies' capital by building the broker, then taking it public as a subsidiary of the mutual insurance company, and then using the publicly available capital and debt to continue to grow the business. So that essentially became the plan. And uh, we launched it uh, as soon as I became CEO in 1989. Uh, we achieved our, uh, we built, started building Accordia. Uh, the, that was the name we gave to the insurance broker. We acquired the first large couple of large brokers using the mutual insurance company's capital. And then in 1992, we took Accordia public, and Accordia then uh, in a, uh, continued on its path uh, of building uh, through acquisition and internal growth, building the company uh, as a public company where the mutual insurance company was the largest shareholder, but there was a considerable public On the other path of uh, growing through mergers and acquisitions of Blue Cross and Blue Shield franchises, uh, I spent a lot of time on the road from 1989 until uh, 1992, early 1993, uh, talking to a lot of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield companies that were mutual insurance companies particularly, uh, because two mutual insurance companies essentially can merge by having their members, the mutual insurance company members, vote for a merger. There's no capital changes hands. Essentially, they form a new mutual insurance company by the vote of their members. And so I spent a lot of time with the CEOs of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Kentucky, uh, Illinois, uh, Ohio, uh, New Hampshire, uh, Florida. There are 14 uh, Blue Cross, there were at the time, 14 Blue Cross and Blue Shield franchises throughout the United States that were mutual insurance companies. And I spent a lot of time talking to them about the benefits 
of a larger company. In all of those conversations, I agreed to step down as CEO and let the, the merged company, uh, or if the other CEO wanted to be the CEO of the merged company, that was fine with me as long as I could be the number two guy. Uh, after um, uh, a considerable uh, amount of work and a lot of time uh, talking to other people about the idea, uh, in 1992, the uh, CEO and the board of directors of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Kentucky agreed uh, that we should merge Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kentucky and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Indiana. Uh, the regulatory processes around these mergers are quite intensive, so it took us about a year to get it done. And in 1993, we had our first multi-state Blue Cross and Blue Shield organization, which combined Indiana, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Indiana and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kentucky. Shortly after that, within a few months, the CEO of the Ohio Blue Cross and Blue Shield Company, uh, Dwayne Hauser, uh, out of Cincinnati, uh, contacted me, and he was uh, pleased that, that to see that the merger had taken place between Indiana and Kentucky and decided to bring his uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield Company into a merger with us as well. Uh, and that company was quite large. It was as large uh, as uh, Indiana and Kentucky combined. And so uh, in uh, 1994, we, com we started the process in 1993, and in 1994, we completed the uh, merger of uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Indiana and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of uh, uh, I'm sorry, the combined Blue Cross Blue Shield of Indiana and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Kentucky with Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Ohio. And uh, then within uh, a year of that, we completed, uh, we are, were contacted by the CEO of uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Connecticut that I had also been talking to for, for a number of years, uh, and he agreed to join us as well. And so with the completion uh, of that, uh, that merger with Connecticut, we had uh, formed a Blue Cross Blue Shield organization now of, uh, that would be over $6 billion in revenue and have uh, four states, Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio, and Connecticut. Uh, and we had named, by the way, when we did the merger with Ohio, we named the company Anthem, Blue Cross and Blue Shield. With the uh, $6 billion now in revenue, and now with combining all of the net worth of the companies, we had net worth of over a billion dollars. At that point, we could start using... Uh, taking on debt uh, in the form of surplus notes and acquiring not-for-profit Blue Cross and Blue Shield companies. When you acquire a not-for-profit, you essentially convert it to a stock company, and since a not-for-profit is owned by the people of the state uh, in which you're buying the company, you create a foundation and you put the purchase price that you pay for that company into a foundation to do good works. And so using that model, we then acquired Blue Cross and Blue Shield of New Hampshire, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Maine, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Colorado, and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Nevada. And so by, uh, by uh, 1999, when I retired, we had those states, all of those states, uh, and we were about $16 billion in revenue. Uh, I've left uh, a 
Accordia out of the story. Accordia was a very successful uh, venture, and uh, after we took it public in 1992, and by 1990, it continued to grow as a subsidiary of Anthem. And by 1996, uh, it was the seventh largest uh, broker in the world and uh, had very good prospects for continued growth. However, the ball game had changed uh, strategically. Many of you will remember that in 1994, uh, then uh, uh, the wife of the president, uh, Hillary Clinton, had proposed a major health care reform that would have virtually nationalized the health insurance industry. However, it failed uh, in Congress and was rejected. Then we're uh, going to be right back. Okay. And we'll finish the story. And then we're going to talk about how this changed health care. Okay. We'll, we'll be right back with Leadership Development News. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Hi, my name is Aaron a survivor of mannequinism. Mannequinism is basically when you turn into a hard plastic shell. This saves from not being politically active. For me, it started when I didn't register to vote. And then I stopped volunteering and before I knew it, I wasn't doing anything. And that's when I found a small patch of plastic on my right shoulder. Protect yourself from mannequinism. Log on to fightmannequinism.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice, what if something happens? Will you come get me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Ben Lytle former chairman and CEO of Axia Health, um, Anthem, and WellPoint. And, Ben, we're talking about 
some of the mergers and acquisitions. And, and during a break, both Kathy and I, from the leadership side, have a, just a, a few questions about how did you deal with, with these leaders, um, you know, CEOs, one, to convince them, maybe from an influence standpoint, but then also from an ego standpoint. And I think both Kathy and I were interested in one of the things that you you mentioned is that you said, well, if you want to be CEO, why don't you go ahead? I'll be second in command. But how did you how did you deal with leaders who may have had different ideas or try to get them all on the same page? Well, I think uh, I, I, let me I, let me finish the the quickly the accordion okay. story, and then uh, then I'll come right back because I think there's a great lesson leadership lesson around that as well. Uh, anyway, but so so after the the Hillary Care plan failed. Uh, we no longer needed to be diversified, and our strategy for building Blue Cross and Blue Shield, a bigger Blue Cross and Blue Shield franchise through merger and acquisition was working and working very well. So we we decided to sell Accordia, and so we sold Accordia, uh, and uh, it has since been resold and is now part of uh, Wells Fargo. So it's uh, it's still out there, and it's well far, Wells Fargo's insurance brokerage arm. Uh, and, and the only lesson that I want to mention around the sale of Accordia was it took a lot of passion and a lot of effort and, and a lot of mobilization of the management team at Anthem to build Accordia. And, and a lot of people fell in love with the idea, as did I. I mean, we accomplished some fast, some incredible things there. But the ball game changed. The ball, the ball game meaning we no longer needed to be to diversify. And when I told our management team that we were going to sell Accordia, it it broke a lot of hearts. There were a lot of people that could not believe we were actually going to sell the company that we had worked so hard to build. But I think that's an important principle for leaders: is when the ball game changes, you have to change. And and, and you'll you can see it in business uh, day after day. You can see companies continue to pursue a strategy when the thing that the compelling need for that strategy. Is no longer there, or the or the environment's changed, and so you have to be adaptable. I don't care how much you love something you're doing, or how much you love a strategy. When it's time to change, change it. But there's something else there, Ben, that Relly was tapping into, and I think your story is a great one. And it's like a decade long journey for a leader to have created, you know, this magnificent organization, and then, you know, the ball game changes. But there's something there's something about the style of leadership that allows somebody to either be in a second command role right. and not take command, and something about somebody who's willing to change when the ball game changes. Well, I think I think on the on the um, on the willing to be the number two. Uh, you know, in fairness, I was young. I was you know I was I was still a very young guy in my forties, and uh, so I, I, it was okay with me. I knew I'd get my shot again at CEO, and so I was willing to be number two if somebody if that was going to be the deciding factor on whether we could get a merger done or not. Um, and uh, uh, and taking one step back from that, remember I said before these had never been done, it, and, and and people had tried and failed. And when I first told our management team this was going to, you know, this I, I decided this was going to be our strategy. I can tell you a lot of them were more than a little skeptical. Um, but what we did was we actually stood back and we said, why don't mergers take place? What's the barriers? Why don't they get done? And it comes down, you know, in some cases, uh, there's, there's some obviously some 
very legitimate things like keeping jobs uh, in the local market and uh, who the who the succeeding management team is going to be, mm-hmm. uh, who the leaders are going to be, what's the role of the merge board, and we came up with some very, what we thought were some very a strategy for each one. We would commit, for example, to maintain job levels, uh, employment levels, for at least some period of time at the prior to merger level. Now we knew we had to get efficiencies, but we wanted those efficiencies to be evenly distributed. Uh, in the case of Kentucky and Indiana, for example, between Indiana and Kentucky, so that all the jobs didn't come out of Kentucky and we move all the jobs to Indiana. We had to satisfy the people we were merging with. On the leadership team, you know, I, like I said, I was willing to be number two. And what we would say to the, when we were doing the mergers, we're going to end up with a team that draws from both companies, and we did in every single case. So um, I guess, Kathy, coming back to... Uh, Oh, and on the board, we, we, we created representation proportional to the uh, surplus or revenue. And the, and the company we were merging with got to pick. So if they were, uh, you know, 50% of the, re- of the combined revenue of the company, they got 50% of the board seats. If they were, if, if using surplus uh, as the, or net worth was the better number for them, they could use that as the ratio. But in both cases, it was fair. Formulaic, so we weren't trying to ram uh, all of our people in control. And so many times, that's what blows a merger up. Uh, even in investor-owned companies, uh, is that people can't agree on what's called the social issues, and you have to be able to work through those social issues, and you have to put your ego uh, under control, if uh, or otherwise you won't get very many deals. That deals done. And I've worked with some wonderful, talented. CEOs who could never get a deal done, and for a lot of those reasons, they just couldn't put their ego in check. Many times, Ben, it's, it's we know it's having kind of a uh, superordinate goal. You know, when two groups come together and they're competing, what would you say the the superordinate goal, kind of the higher mission, or was there a higher mission that was able to let people kind of put down some of their egos and, it, and cooperate? A great question, really, and that, and that really was uh, what made the difference.
these folks were visionaries, and, and the, the overriding uh, vision was that we needed bigger, stronger uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield franchises if we were going to be successful and competitive in the future. And, and we all believed that the Blue Cross Blue Shield style of delivering health insurance was superior to the other companies, and we thought it was very important for Blue Cross and Blue Shield to survive and prosper. Ben, um, I'm going to ask you a question about your interest in health care reform and, um, and improving the health care system, because that has been a part of your mission um, since the beginning of your career. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And um, also, I noticed that sometimes you're going a little soft on the phone, so maybe you can just oh, okay. speak into Thank the you phone a little much. more. Thank you. Thank you for letting me know that. Oh, no worries. Um, yeah, I think, uh, first of all, um, and, and we haven't talked at all about Axios, so I can uh, bring that in a little bit in as well, because that, that combines the passion for changing the healthcare system with a business, uh, a business purpose. But uh, in the late uh, 1980s, uh, as I was doing all this strategic work, uh, I began to see uh, that uh, a lot of the change that you know was being clamored for. Uh, out of out of Washington about uh, you know government intervening in the healthcare system was was really wrong headed in in my view if they in that they were only intervening in how healthcare is financed health insurance and really not getting at what the fundamental challenges are in healthcare uh, which is how it's delivered uh, how, what the, what the fundamental interaction is between the patient and the doctor because that's ultimately where all the decisions are made and it's in that interaction uh, is where uh, healthcare has to ultimately change if it's ever to be more efficient the system is not you know terribly efficient today about 30 or 40 percent uh, and that's probably conservative of all healthcare that delivers that is delivered doesn't improve patient's condition. Amazing. It's either neutral or it makes it worse. And that's that's pretty bad, actually. <laughs> and I think that comes uh, in large part from the fact that most patients are uh, not well informed uh, about what their choices are, what the risks are, what the alternatives to treatment are. And that's in part the fault of physicians and then it's in part, a large part, in fault of patients. Now, it's changing, and it's changed dramatically in the 20 years that I've been involved. But uh, I, I Well, you know what, Ben, we're going to come right back. Sure. Um, this is Leadership Development News, and we're with Ben Lytle. Leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence? 
influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Hey, how you doing? Educational videos, top quality, right here. You'll never hear anyone selling education on the street. Yo, what's up, baby? Want to learn some history? I got live, learning, beautiful books inside. And don't expect anyone to just offer you an education. Who needs a high school diploma, huh? Unfortunately, you can't buy a diploma from some guy with a briefcase. But there is one way you can get the educational skills you and your family need for free. With free family learning programs. Call 1-877-FAMLET-1 for information on free GED, computer training classes, and other family learning programs. That's 1-877-FAMLIT-1. Check it out, check it out. We're your GED right here, guaranteed, ma. Come on, check it out. After all, you can't get your education on the street. Free family learning programs from the National Center for Family Literacy. The first step to a better life. Brought to you by the National Center for Family Literacy and the Ad Council. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Ben Lytle. And Ben, just from the conversations that we're having with Kathy here, does uh, sound like you're you know, quite the, the visionary in getting a, uh, an idea of where is healthcare going, and we want to talk about some of your new endeavor and what some of the mission is about dealing with some of the aging population and your new um, like company, I guess, Axia. Yeah. Well, what what happened uh, when I was you know when I was looking and when I got involved in healthcare reform, it was because I didn't believe. That that what was being discussed was the real problem. In other words, who has health insurance and whether the government provides it or or private insurance provides is not the problem. The problem is three underlying problems. Uh, one is an aging population, and that's a worldwide condition. Worldwide, birth rates are falling, uh, lifespans are extending, and so the population's aging. People over age 65 use three times health care of younger people. It's just that simple. So that's a huge issue for us to address. The second is lifestyle-related chronic disease. If you, uh, if you don't uh, get enough exercise and you eat uh, too much and you become overweight or, or, uh, or obese, uh, you're going to develop chronic diseases, and most people do. And so the fastest-rising cause of health care costs today for the under age 65 population is uh, lifestyle-related chronic disease. And the third problem is poor choices uh, and uninformed choices between patients and doctors. And so once I retired from Anthem and I spent some time even further, more intensive, uh, through the Foundation for Better Health, studying 
what the causes of the problems were in healthcare costs and why healthcare costs go up and why people can't afford them and why people don't uh, have health as good as they could, I decided to focus uh, on that for the rest of my career. How could I build businesses that address those problems since I don't have a lot of confidence that the government uh, and politics will address those problems? Uh, I was very lucky in that my son has a similar passion, and he was wanting to build a business, and so we together in uh, 2004, backed by private equity, we built a company to, um, to, to address lifestyle-related chronic disease. How do you get people to exercise, control their weight, and so forth? And we built a very successful company, uh, which uh, we became the largest provider of uh, prevention and wellness services in the country, and we sold that uh, in 2006 to um, a, a very fine company, Healthways, uh, out of Nashville, Tennessee. They do did uh, their prior mission was disease management, helping people live with chronic disease. So our business was a perfect complement to help people avoid getting chronic disease in the first place. Since that time, Hugh and I have redirected our efforts towards what I already mentioned as one of the fundamental problems, which is the worldwide reallocation of the population that's going on, historic, never happened before, uh, in which, uh, which in the future, there are, will be more people old, over age 65 relative to the working age population, 15 to 64, than ever before. In the United States, over the next 50 years, I'm sorry, over the next uh, uh, 40 years, the population, that ratio of people over age 65 to the working age population is going to go up 88%. And that's huge, but it's nothing compared to China, where it's going to go up 300%, uh, or South Korea, where it's going, going to go up 400%, uh, or Western Europe, where it's going to go up 200%. So, the, and, and so you have a problem. When you have that many elderly uh, and you have fewer working-age population, who is going to take care of those folks? Uh, how are they going to get the care they need? And the fastest growing population we have in the world today is the age 80 and over population, which needs more intensive care. And so when you stand back from that, it creates uh, the business thesis of the company we founded, Univita, uh, which means one life. And uh, the business thesis is this, using using current population trends that are going to run out through 2040 to 2050, where we're going to have many, many more elderly and many fewer working-age population. There simply aren't enough people to give care to the seniors who need it. And so something has to change. And what that is is caregiving has to become a lot more efficient, and seniors have to be able to live independently much, much longer. And so that's our business. That's exactly what we're focusing on. And we're going to be assembling companies who deliver care so that we can make that caregiving a model for efficiency. And we're going to be building technology tools that help seniors stay independent much, much longer. Sensors in the home so that they can 
can uh, remain independent, and if they need help, the sensors will tell us they need help, and we can send someone there, but they don't have to have 24-hour care. Ben, can you talk a little bit about the talent and leadership challenges you're facing as you go into the creation of Univita? Yeah, the, the the biggest challenge is that this has been an industry that has been, um, you know, not been an attractive industry for 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 the best leaders. Uh, people have tended to look uh, as they as they went uh, into careers, even in healthcare, uh, and decided that it's you know it's more fun to work with kids or it's more fun to work uh, on something uh, challenging, uh, preventing. Uh, preventing disease or finding cures for disease, but actually taking care of the elderly uh, was not something people were anxious to, to invest their careers in. Many people did, but many of the most talented uh, people and the best thinkers have not. Uh, and so a huge challenge we've got there is to make this a compelling business. I mean, it is from a need standpoint, but that people can get excited about, that's where I want to invest my career. That's where I want to invest my life. This is probably the world's number one social problem in the next 40 years, and that's how we hope to attract people, people that want to solve big problems, and at the same time help make people's lives much, much better. Not just the seniors, but the families. Many of the your listeners probably are taking care of a uh, of a senior uh, of, of an elderly parent. If not, they will be. Uh, and uh, at the same time, they may be raising their own children. They're called the sandwich generation, uh, and it's a huge challenge. Everyone we talk to who is uh, someone taking care of an elderly parent, when we tell them what we're trying to do, they say, "Can I have it now?" <laughs> so, so that's our biggest leadership challenge: is getting uh, getting people who are creative and driven by this mission. And Ben, if, if people are interested in hearing more about Univita or kind of getting some more information, it sounds like it's still in the form, formative stages. How can they do that? You mean to get in touch with you or get in touch with Univita? Yeah, they can. Uh, the uh, the the best place would be to contact uh, our um, my son Hugh and I's uh, development company, Star West Ventures. Uh, we are have not yet made our first acquisition. As soon as we do, we'll actually launch uh, Univita. But uh, Star West Ventures out of Phoenix, Arizona, uh, and we also have a, a website there, and so you can contact us that way. So we just go to www.starwestventures.com? Yeah, starwestventuresllc.com. Got it. Well, it sounds like um, you and Hugh have uh, been busy uh, progressing your thinking as leaders in the area of healthcare on solutions that will make healthcare not only higher quality, more valuable, but more accessible and affordable to more people. That's our goal. That's our goal. That's uh, that's the mission that I've taken home for the rest of my life, and uh, and uh, Hugh, uh, who's going to live a lot longer than me, uh, fortunately, uh, has as well. Well, the other thing I'd like our audience to know is you keep talking about retiring from these formative positions, and I know for a fact you don't retire. Your brain just goes on to a new and more exciting, successful business. As a leader, uh, you uh, challenge yourself, I think, more than you challenge the world of healthcare. Well, uh, I'll always, I don't, uh, I don't I think that, you know, uh, certainly for most people today, uh, 
sitting in a rocking chair and uh, isn't what they have in mind when they when they retire. We we actually are missing a word for what the stage of life is. Uh, almost everyone I know who doesn't work full time in uh, in a corporate career anymore is doing things like I'm doing. They're doing very productive things, but we don't have a very good word for it. And so, well, we'll have to think of a word. Yeah, you, really. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's that's a great mission for you. We have the literary skills. There you go. Thank you. Well, Ben, thank you very much. And it does sound like it's your passion that's keeping you going. And I think that's a good note for for us to to end on. So thank you very much for your insight, for your learning, and from uh, your experience. This has been Leadership Development News signing off for right now. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you're leaving us today with some great ideas and inspiration from today's top leaders. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.